This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back in for a fresh edition of the Lions 24-7 podcast. Tyler Donahue and Sean Fitz with you once again as we start to put a bow on January, working toward the traditional National Signing Day on Wednesday. We'll have a little bit of recruiting content coming up for you here later on the show, but we start in the transfer portal. It has been a specific destination for our conversations, Sean, during the recent month or so, and uh, for the first time in 2021 and for the fifth time overall, the first four came in December, Penn State has another pickup through that transfer portal. This one, a grad transfer, a former All-Ivy League standout, Harvard offensive lineman Eric Wilson, just a few days after getting to campus for the first time, committing to Penn State. He's set to arrive in a few months. We'll talk about the impact on this offensive line group, and we'll discuss a little bit more about where things stand with the transfer portal and with that early with that final signing day uh, just around the corner and what may happen from a personnel standpoint. But we start here with uh, Eric Wilson, Sean. Well, hopefully academics don't hold him up and Penn State lets him in because that Harvard degree, you're not sure if it's ever going to transfer over to Penn State. But uh, no, it's a, it's another quality pickup for Penn State in, in the portal. And to be honest with you, just shocking how aggressive they've been, shocking how successful they've been. I mean, they, they really made an emphasis. They said they were going to make an emphasis and they've followed through. And, you know, that's not always the easiest thing to do. Now, your fifth scholarship transfer pickup in this cycle um, joins four guys that are already on campus. He, of course, has to finish out a psychology degree at Harvard. Um, so the spring semester, he'll be up in, in Massachusetts and he'll be able to uh, you know, take care of things there, come join the team after the semester, and hopefully compete for a starting gu- uh, job at guard Excuse me, um, when, uh, when the summer comes around. Yeah, you mentioned the uh, the five transfer pickups who were on scholarship. That is uh, already well beyond what they have done in the past of this transfer portal era. Two, unless my uh, count is mistaken here, only two additions uh, via transfer of the scholarship variety since that transfer portal emerged on the scene for college football. Weston Carr, who was a Division II All-American out in California, came to campus in 2019. Uh, and then Jordan Stout, who is uh, obviously a very important part of the specialist group right now for Penn State. But but you're already more than doubled that through the first five weeks or so of this offseason, Sean not sure there's any reason to believe they are done yet. As you said, uh, there have there was definitely a lot of talking about being aggressive. We heard it from James Franklin and uh, Andy Frank uh, back in, in December. We heard it from James Franklin again last week stating the need to be aggressive, and they really have been. I mean, we're talking about, uh, for, for the fifth time here now, a guy at the Division One level who has significant starting experience now. It's a different level of college football, obviously, at the Ivy League, and he's coming off of a, a season, a year in which he didn't play any football. The Ivy League uh, did not participate in a fall football schedule, so you got to go back to 2019 when he was an all Ivy League performer. Um, but it's continuing a theme of bringing guys in who have experience playing uh, well beyond high school, a lot of snaps under his belt. We talked last episode about a couple walk-ons uh, maybe impacting the process as well. One in the special teams room, one at wide receiver. Each of those players have an abundant, uh, have an abundant experience at the college level as well. So these are not the transfer portal pickups where a, a guy was an acclaimed recruit. Three years later, he hasn't done much, and you're thinking maybe you can find a spark in your campus. You're really thinking that you're getting plug-and-play guys, if not in your starting lineup, then at least on your two deep. And I mean, with one year left, if he's not a plug and play guy, if he's not who you thought he could be, very little risk in, ter- in, in terms of 
bringing him in. So uh, we'll see how that goes with Eric Wilson. You can probably add George Campbell to that list in terms of uh, transfer pickup. George Campbell, of course, a receiver from Florida State a couple of years ago. Penn State could not get him into grad school, so he ended up at West Virginia. Had a decent little career uh, at West Virginia, but they uh, I think they certainly missed him a little bit here at Penn State. I know they still talk about him uh, in that building, but uh, Eric Wilson, 6'4", 315. He's listed at 280 on his Harvard profile. Says he's 315 right now. I think he can fit in there um, at, at left guard probably. There's been some movement in that uh, in that area with Penn State to this offseason. Of course, Michael Mennett moving on. Will Fries, who started the last several games at right guard, moving on. C.J. Thorpe, who started the first several games at right guard, moving on to the portal. Um, so some move, moving parts in there. You've got guys like Des Holmes coming back. Uh, you've got, of course, Mike Miranda, who we expect to move over to center. Um, and be that guy. Juice Scruggs, of course, we've talked a lot about here on the podcast. We're big fans of, of Juice Scruggs here. Uh, Anthony Wigan, uh, Salim Wormley. Uh, you know, you've got, you've got bodies there. You don't have a ton of experience. And Wilson's going to be a guy that comes in, and I think competes for a starting job right away. And I think, you know, can eventually win one of those starting jobs. He's, he's obviously not coming in to, to, to be a sixth man, to be a, a second team or anything like that. He had committed to Auburn. Uh, LSU was involved. A couple other schools were involved as well. So eh, it's pretty decent. It's not always the be-all, end-all things, but it's a pretty decent barometer of what kind of player coaches across the country think uh, that you know Wilson can be. Lyman always going to be in, in demand here. I mean, that's the big thing that you look at, especially at the portal. Um, defensive lineman, offensive lineman, I know this is going to make our big guys on the board sound uh, or be pretty happy, but uh, those guys are always in demand. Everybody always wants linemen. So um, not surprised that there was, a, you know, an elevated uh, market for, for Eric Wilson, but, uh, you know, they, they stuck along, they plugged along. LSU seemed like they were the leader after the original Auburn decommitment. Um, but there are some rules at play here with grad transfers where LSU couldn't actually take a grad transfer. So certainly opened things back up. Phil Troutwine was a guy that just sort of plugged along and plugged along and plugged along. Now all of a sudden, you know, he's, uh, he's on board with Penn State. And you're talking about a couple of programs there at the SEC who have national championships in recent history, not as recent for Auburn, of course, but good company when you're looking at a player making that leap from the Ivy League in terms of where he was wanted. You look back at his 24-7 sports drinking coming out of high school. He's out of the Minneapolis area, went to Bunhill St. Margaret's High School, 2017 graduate. Uh, he was the number uh, 50 overall offensive guard prospect, uh, which is pretty solid considering he did not end up playing at the FBS Power 5 level. Number two player overall in the state of Minnesota when you look at those 24-7 sports rankings. Not a powerhouse state, but again, a player who I think coming out as a recruit and then exiting the Ivy League, uh, you look at the the interest that was generated, the, the kind of the way this kid was evaluated. Um, and Harvard is a school you make you'll make some exceptions for if you are of of the academic mind. And um, it certainly seems like he may have been able to to pursue other opportunities for college football purposes. But this is a kid who's going to get the best of both worlds. He's going to leave Harvard with a degree in hand and then check in for some big time Big Ten football with the Penn State Nittany Lions. Yeah, I mean, you, you've got to take a shot on a guy like this. And, you know, you, you, you look at your numbers, and I think that's kind of fragmented when you take, take a look at what's there in terms of experience, what's there in terms of young talent and things like that. Of course, you know, I mentioned those other guys uh, before, but Nick Dawkins is a guy that can play center, play guard. Tangwall is a guy that can play tackle, play guard, probably play all five spots. Uh, Nate Bruce is a guy that that's already on campus. He's going to play guard. So you've got young guys, inexperienced guys there. So Adding, you know, a guy, a guy like uh, Eric Wilson, who essentially, I guess, is the same age as C.J. Thorpe was. I mean, it's kind of like plug and play. I mean, you, you're out Thorpe, you're in Wilson, and that kind of makes sense from that from that angle. Tangwall Bruce, as you said, uh, two of the seven freshmen who arrived on campus last week. If you've missed any of the recent podcasts, maybe you're checking in for the first time in a bit. Uh, the last uh, three episodes, I believe, each of them, uh, we had an early enrollee on Landon Tangwall, Nate Bruce, and then quarterback Christian Veyu. So just want to make sure that's on everybody's radar. I know it's a little bit more infrequent with some listeners outside of the season. Um, Sean, that's three new offensive linemen, Bruce, Tangwall, Wilson. Uh, not a huge group last year. Penn State brought in five freshmen. As we said, you've got a few guys going out the exit door with Thorpe, uh, Mennett, and, and Fries. 
uh, guys who have played collectively quite a bit of football for you. Um, how did this get done? And, and you, know, Penn, you mentioned Penn State being proactive. Uh, what was the involvement like here on behalf of the staff? Yeah, this is a guy that they targeted shortly after he went into the, the portal. Um, I, I don't know that you know, it was a situation where they're like, okay, we're waiting on this guy. He fits in. Let's, let's go get him. I think it was a situation where when they decided to make a concentrated effort in the portal, they said, okay, you guys got to have lists of, of players that, uh, you know, go in there and check them out right away. And, you know, I guess Phil Troutwine put on the film and said, okay, this, this kid can actually play. He can play for us. Uh, uh, you can't always tell, especially when you're playing at a level like the Ivy League. You can't always tell if that's going to, uh, transfer over. But I mean, you're not going to know that until he gets here anyway. So, um, you know, you look at who's going after him, you look at who's, uh, you know, sort of making waves with him. And he committed to Auburn actually fairly quickly. And, you know, Auburn is, uh, I understand they've had a coaching change and things like that, but that's a, that's a name brand program right there. So um, you're, you're bringing in a guy with a veteran presence. He's been in a college locker room. I know, you know, the Harvard locker room and the Penn State locker room, probably a little different, but at the same time, he's been in a, a college locker room, college weight program. You're bringing in a guy that can, you know, physically probably handle the load right away. He can probably play all three spots as well. So, so maybe if something doesn't work out with Miranda at center, you can, you know, slide Wilson in there and see if something can happen. So you're just giving yourself a little bit extra to play with there. Um, as far as how it got done, I mean, yeah, he was he was committed to Auburn and kind of opened things up with uh, with the coaching change and the uncertainty there. And then LSU came heavily into the mix. We thought he was going to LSU. Penn State thought he was going to LSU. As I mentioned earlier, some rules decided that he could not go to LSU. And once again, things are open. So you just keep that con that that contact up with them that entire time. And, you know, good things happen sometimes. You, you look at what uh, Penn State's done in the portal. I'm sure this is something that's not lost on him in the fact that they're bringing in now five new guys that can compete. And you've obviously got uh, loyalty and such. But at the on the other end of the spectrum, if you're bringing in five guys, Guys, that's probably pretty uh, appealing for other portal guys, and I think they'll continue to use that. I think they'll, um, you know, maybe just try and make this uh, more of a destination for guys. And and again, you don't know if they're all going to hit. That was a great uh, uh, mailbag question a couple of episodes ago. You don't know if they're all going to hit, but with these guys that have one or two years left, you might as well take a shot. Maybe a bit of a surprise because he's been on campus for a full year now, but this is really the first guy that Phil Troutwine has gone out like deliberately and, and, and gotten from start to finish with the process. He inherited the commitment of Nate Bruce. Um, Landon Tengwall was well underway with his Penn State recruitment, had a history with Tyler Bowen. Obviously, uh, he, Troutwine played a role in getting that commitment on board with Tengwall, and they've built a relationship since then. But this is really the first one that that he has cultivated and, and then gone to the finish line with. You've got Drew Shelton in the 2022 class, but still ways to get him to campus. So I, I thought that was interesting as well. It's, it you know, feels like Troutwine has been here forever because the 2020 year felt like it was forever. Um, but this is the first guy that he has kind of been a part of that origin of saying, let's go target him. And then actually getting to the point where you're saying, okay, he's on board now. And he's going to have to wait a few months to get this kid on board uh, officially in the room with him. But uh, a nice step forward for Phil Troutwine as he continues to kind of shuffle through this group um, in, in his second year on campus. And Sean, that's now five different positions that have been impacted by these scholarship transfers. Uh, the offensive guard spot, defensive tackle, defensive end, cornerback, uh, and running back. You're, you're seeing a new scholarship player. Uh, three of them are seniors, Wilson, Tangelo at defensive tackle, and, and then John Lovett at running back. And then you've got uh, Eva Cady, the defensive end, who's a junior from Temple, and John Dixon, who's a sophomore status uh, out of South Carolina. So that's where things stand now. What do you see as left to accomplish in the transfer portal? And Because, uh, again, I, I just do not get the sense that Penn State's closing any books here quite yet. Well, the, I mean, space isn't at the premium that you, you would think at this time of the year. Um, they've got, uh, I think, 20 guys total with their scholarship commitments, their high school commitments, and, the, and their um, uh, transfer portal commitments. So you've still got space to work under that 25 hard cap. So you're looking at everybody. And that's, I mean, something that people really haven't uh, grasped is you're looking at quarterback, yes. You're looking at linebacker, yes. And even if these guys aren't bubbling up with, with all this, uh, you know, outward interest and things like that, it's still happening. And that's, uh, that's something that, you know, probably wouldn't have expected six months ago when we were talking about Penn State and the portal. So they're looking everywhere. Uh, those two met, those two positions I've mentioned, uh, you know, quarterback and linebacker certainly, uh, you know, are 
you know, not a ton of good options in there, but seems to be changing daily. And we'll see what happens after the spring. Line, uh, excuse me, defensive end and safety, still the two big ones in my mind in terms of roster building, in terms of not only getting an experienced guy, maybe at safety and a younger guy at defensive end, but just building your all around talent level and, and, and building out your depth at those positions. James Franklin twice on the record now in the past six, seven weeks, mentioning defensive end, mentioning defensive back. Brought in a cornerback, brought in the one defensive end from Temple. Uh, still looks like there's more room in the in and both those spots. And linebackers, one I'm pretty fascinated to watch. Uh, it may not, may not be done seeing the roster uh, transition in that spot. And they've got a lot to work on based on what we saw in 2020 without Micah Parsons on the field. They need to develop some game records and, and certainly think we may see a bit of a shuffled lineup in that starting unit compared to what we saw last time this defense took the field. Um, Sean, we did get a chance to hear from Sandy Barber. We're going to get to that in a moment. We're going to talk about some things from the Penn State Athletic Director, particularly what's going on with spring practice plans, because that's very important for this Penn State football program. But before we turn away, anything else to add of note on the transfer portal as Penn State continues to explore those options? No, I just think it's it's incredible how far they've come with their philosophy in terms of just like, okay, not only are you bringing guys in, but also you're saying to guys, okay, if you want to explore the portal or if you want to, you know, if you, if you think that this isn't the place you want to go, go ahead. And, and I know that there's guys they want to talk back into coming and none of that stuff or a lot of that stuff won't come to the light of day. Um, but it's just very interesting to see how uh, much they've loosened up their stance on the portal in the last year. And it's been uh, really incredible to watch. And you, you're actually seeing results right away. By the way, we, we almost passed this over because there's there's always been so much news. It's hard to keep up when we record a few days later. TJ Jones, uh, since we last recorded, uh, redshirt freshman status wide receiver from the 2019 recruiting class. He hit the transfer portal. Back in that 2019 class, Penn State brought in two uh, receivers out of the state of Florida, TJ Jones, John Dunmore. Uh, Dunmore is, is off looking for a new place. Sounds like it'll be FAU. I don't know if that's finalized quite yet. Um, and then you've also now got TJ Jones um, leaving Happy Valley. So essentially you're getting nothing out of that 2019 class at wide receiver. It looks like you're going to get a lot out of the 2020 class. There's a lot to like about the 2021 group. Um, but but we had to note that departure because I, I, I realized that we almost did not. Yeah, I almost forgot about it myself. Um, but yeah, I mean, you're probably not going to cry too hard over a guy that didn't catch a pass during his two years here. Um, you know, I thought TJ Jones had a chance. Um, it just really hasn't all come together. And as you mentioned, that 2020 class, I mean, that you're going to see that at different positions where, um, you know, you're going to see guys that go into the portal that have very talented guys a year behind them. And really, you can just look at it and be like, okay, that kind of makes sense. And with TJ Jones, I think that kind of makes sense. Uh, I think he can catch on somewhere. I don't know if he'll, you know, pop up at UCF or something like that, but, uh, it's, it's definitely a situation where you look at the receiver room, something's got to give, and, and, and that one kind of makes sense. We're going to shift gears, look toward the spring practice session, and whether that may actually come to fruition this time around for Penn State football. Stay with us here on the Lions 24-7 podcast. Conversation continues here on the Lions 24-7 podcast with a look back at Tuesday afternoon's press conference with Sandy Barber, now in her eighth year as Penn State Athletic Director. Uh, had plenty to say, had plenty to talk about for, for one. I mean, we hadn't spoken with her, Sean, about football since September when it, the Big Ten announced that they were returning uh, and, and reinstating a fall football season, albeit a revised one. She briefly fielded a few questions uh, following the, the, the Pat Chambers coaching move with Penn State basketball. And Mark Brennan, who does a great job covering the basketball beat for us, has some content on the coaching timeline, what they're doing with that up on lines247.com. We're going to keep the conversation as usual uh, here on football. And and it starts with what's coming up here pretty swiftly. Uh, we're working our way toward February, just a few days away. And then beyond that, in March, typically you would see Penn State football players out in pads. Last year, that old thing got blown up. Our whole lives got blown up in a big way. This time, we think we have a better idea of what to anticipate from our surroundings and, and with this reality. Um, we shall see. But there was some optimism here from Sandy Barber, Sean. There was a few ways the question would, was phrased about spring practice. I think it took time uh, about three times to get uh, kind of an answer that had some clarity. And it came from Mark Brennan, of course. And uh, Sandy said that, you know, 
barring any kind of setbacks or, you know, uh, between now and then, she sees no reason why there wouldn't be kind of the standard operating procedure for Penn State football when it comes to spring practice. She talked about all the other Penn State programs that are active right now going about their business. She doesn't see why at this stage that would not be the case for Penn State. Call it guardedly optimistic, call it murky still, whatever you will. But it sounds like there's a good chance for this to happen. And I know James Franklin is is more confident about this because of actually going through an entire season, learning the protocols, learning how you have to handle things to get on the field. To get those 15 practice sessions in, Sean, would just be a a remarkable step forward toward some kind of normalcy for a a football staff, for a football roster, albeit in, in a circumstance where the university itself is very much fundamentally changed on a daily basis by the COVID protocol. And I, I think you nailed it with one of your points there and that they've gone through this protocol before. They've they've put in best practices in terms of how to, to make things work for them with practice, uh, uh, camps and all this kind of stuff. So uh, I, I think that makes sense. And, and I, they're preparing for it. I mean, this is something that's really not news to anybody that they're preparing to get there. But, you know, preparing to do it and doing it are usually two different things. And, uh, you know, you think about a year ago, and I think they just know a little bit more about the process now, how they can handle it, how they can keep their guys controlled. Um, and I don't want to say controlled, but how they can keep their guys um, in order. And, and it really makes sense. So uh, with the blue-white game, I mean, I, I have a hard time seeing that happening. I mean, you're, you're talking about potentially blowing it all up for a scrimmage and you know obviously you don't want your players around the general public and things like that as you're trying to you know wrap up spring drills and 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 there's a lot that goes into it I think Sandy said what 2500 now is the max that you can get in Beaver Stadium so yes is is that worth it no I don't think so Um, it'll be interesting to me to see if you know the Big Ten Network jumps on this or ESPN jumps on it and says okay there might be a market for spring football for eyeballs to get to our television and things like that so I think that's probably the most likely way that you're going to see something like the blue-white game. I just, I mean, it's a spring scrimmage and I know everybody loves it. Everybody loves to come back to town and do all that kind of stuff, but I I don't see the risk um, outweighing the the benefit that you get from this. It's a glorified scrimmage. Typically, you're not going to see the best players involved for very long, if at all. Um, Some guys that are recovering from off-season surgeries or whatever aren't even going to be a part of the process. Um, but you know, it's also a way to celebrate your program. It's, it's the spot where they introduce the freshman class to Beaver Stadium for the first time. It is an absolute monster of a recruiting showcase for your program and a way to get uh, players to campus during what is you know hit or miss weather-wise that time of year. But uh, you can get some very nice days here in April. And, and you know the recruiting thing may be off the table anyways. Right now, April 15th is, is the, the day that this in-person recruiting sanction it goes through could it be extended beyond that i hope not would it be surprising if it was not really based on the the prolonged period that that we've seen this sanction in place but um look you're probably not going to get the recruiting benefits out of it um and like you said for for a scrimmage is it worth kind of jeopardizing uh the situation i don't know about that i would love to imagine september uh, Penn State's home opener being a, a welcome back celebration for a lot of people, us included, um, and, and get to that point and see where we're at. Um, you make a good point on, on another thing there is that, um, you know, Big Ten Network, whoever, there's certainly an opportunity here. It's not just the 75,000 people who would normally be in Beaver Stadium looking for a way to watch something like this. It's, you know, every Penn State fan uh, and, and, and college football fans in general who, you know, let's face it, in April, it, it's nice to watch a little bit of football because you still got a long way ahead of you. So I think there's a great opportunity for, for really every Big Ten program, programs across the country, but I mean, particularly up here where we didn't see any fans in the stadium last fall. I don't know if we will this spring. Have that 15th practice period. Keep it with just your support staff, just your staff, and just your players. But, you know, kind of treat it with, with a little bit of that fanfare, kind of that game rundown like you normally would. Put a scoreboard up, and that, that always helps generate the competition, keep some eyeballs on you. And it's an opportunity, of course, not just to, you know, take a peek at what Mike Yersich is doing with the offense, but 
it's a chance to say, okay, what, what's Landon Tengwall doing out there? And, you know, uh, you know what, what's Christian Veyu look like in a Penn State uniform? It's always cool to, to get those first glimpses of some of the younger players on this roster. I mean, Taquan Roberson, this will be a prime opportunity for him to go put in a significant amount of work in, in, in some kind of live action. Of course, he can't get hit very hard, but uh, there, there's a lot you can gain from this. But I think it's those preceding 14 practices that really – to me, are under the microscope. That's when you're getting a lot of that important work in. It's what you didn't have with Kirk Shiraka and Sean Clifford and, and, and these other offensive uh, staff assistants. And to be able to do that, and to be able to do that across college football, I think would be a tremendous sign for where things may be headed. And with the recruiting ban through April 15th, and, and there's not a blue-white game or weekend or anything like that scheduled at this point. So the recruiting ban goes through April 15th. Who knows if that's going to be still in effect in terms of will, will they you know bump it out to May or something like that. But you're not going to have a mass gathering either way. I mean, Penn State mm-hmm. is not going to come out of that ban and say, okay, we want 100 kids on the sidelines for this thing. So I, I understand that the, the benefits that they get from the recruiting weekend, of uh, blue-white weekend, has always been fruitful for them. It's always been something where you look back at the end of a class and say, okay, there were nine or 10 guys that were at this spring game that, you know, some of them were on the radar at this point. Some of them were committed at this point. Some of them, you know, were just kind of showing up, but at the same time, that's the, they were there. I get that. But at the same, you know, in the same breath, doesn't really make a ton of sense. And they're not going to go, they're not going to turn 180 and just do it all of a sudden. No way. No, that's not going to happen. And I don't know what the first recruiting event that that's allowed and permitted will look like at Penn State, but it, I, I, I think it's going to be pretty exclusive company and a pretty exclusive group to start and then work your way from there and hopefully eventually get to have camps and all that different stuff. But, you know, it, it just feels like this is very doable. And and it, if for a long time in 2020, Sean, it felt like a lot of things weren't doable or you were really rolling the dice when the team went back t- together in June or when the team went on the field in August for the start of the preseason camp. You know, all that stuff you're kind of holding your breath. When the team went and had its first kickoff of the year against Indiana and then back in Beaver Stadium, you know, you're kind of holding your breath. And by the time you get to game nine, you're like, okay, well, they figured out a way to make this happen, Penn State in particular, because they handled the situation very well. But, you know, now this is year two of, of living in this reality. And I think it's like a lot of things. You know, Penn State, Franklin said it. We've, we've done this. We've had practices. We've run an organization through this. We have lessons, things that work, things that didn't work. We can apply that. I think in all our personal lives, whether it's, you know, getting on a plane for the first time for all this, the second time is going to be a bit easier than the first time. And I'm sure for you, putting your putting your son uh, in, in back in school, your son's back in school, uh, the first time was probably extremely nerve-wracking. I'd like to think for your sake, it, it's not as nerve-wracking today as it was the first time. And I think there's a lot that you can apply to this in life as we go through it. And for this, it's, you know, there's a little bit of repetition involved for Penn State at this point that makes it seem a lot less trickier than it did in 2020. I appreciate the credit there. But as the dad that works from home, I was pretty okay with them going back. The, the wife, <laughs> maybe a different story. Um, but yeah, you, you you move on from that and you go on with that. And I, I agree with everything you said there. Well, looking at uh, Penn State beyond the, the spring practice, uh, you know, one COVID case during the season, this is something that popped up during the conversation. Uh, Sandy Barber says that case was contracted outside the team, which makes sense because there weren't two COVID cases for the program. But I mean, this is a, a massive undertaking. I know people look at the roster and see 100 plus players, but the support staffs are massive. A lot of people are going back home, the kids, to wives. To, you know, th- there's a lot of stuff that could go wrong, and it did go wrong for a lot of programs. And people are saying, hey, don't deflect from the fact that Penn State started 0 5. And by the way, Sandy Barber called the 0 5 start disturbing uh, on, on Tuesday. I thought that was an interesting uh, word to apply to it. Um, but. I, Sean, there's something to be said. It's one, it's one of the it's one of the cleaner words yeah. I've heard applied to it. So that that's nice of her. Something to be said for that, though. And and you know, I, no one wants to hand out these uh, life lesson medals and and be the COVID national champions. But you could have gone four and five and had thirty cases, and it could have been a, a train wreck. Well, you probably wouldn't have gotten four and five because you wouldn't have got to nine games. But one case, I mean, are you kidding me? That's in, that's actually like just hard to wrap your head around the efficiency with which James Franklin and his staff work. Yeah, I mean, that's just a, a product of them being diligent. And that's really, you know, you have to tip your hat. I know a lot of people, especially in your mentions, uh, you know, not yes. all feeling the same way. Um, but you got to tip your hat to, to keeping those guys safe. And and really, when, you, when you're using that, I mean, you're talking to recruits and recruits' parents and things like that. We're going to keep your kids safe. Okay, here's what we did in this 
well, global pandemic and we kept these guys healthy, safe and all that kind of stuff. I think that's a good thing that you can, you know, for, for all intents and purposes, give a positive spin to and, and really help help your program in the long run. Add it to that slideshow for those recruiting visits that we hope are coming up on campus. Um, a couple other takeaways from here. Uh, Sandy Barber, last March, I think it was, last April maybe, uh, highlighted a potential you know, worst-case scenario where there was going to be 60 to $90 million of athletic department losses at Penn State. Because you were able to have a football season, that's the, the big thing here, I think. Um, but it, those losses are still going to be significant, but in the 20 to $25 million range now, according to Barber, that is way different than 60 to $90 million. And, and so far, they have not had to scrap any of their programs uh, at the, at the uh, scholarship sports level. Um, with that said, there was a question, and I think it was a fair one. How can Penn State pull off what would appear to be kind of a luxury move and, and ditching Kirk Shiraka after one year and then going get going to get Mike Yersich, a guy who was making, I think, over $1.5 million last year with the Texas Longhorns? How do you justify that when you know there's supposed to be austerity measures? Sandy Barber was pretty much to the point. Football's the moneymaker, and you've got to look out for its long-term uh, success. Uh, I mean – it, it, it's great to hear that. Like it, it's yeah. finally just like <laughs> ringing through my ears that that's that's actually what she said because she's so uh, and I will say this about Sandy she's so diligent in talking up all the sports and Penn State has a lot of sports and football supports a lot of sports. Football has to be treated differently because they are the cash cow. They are the money maker. That's what everybody's listening to this podcast for. So it's nice to hear it finally. You know, it's it, it's been sort of uh, tiptoed around, but you got to treat football different. You can do that by going out. And now it doesn't hurt that that Mike Yersich is still making money from Texas. So you know, I'm sure that goes into that decision. It goes into how easy it is to get that across the board. Um, but yeah, just uh, you you got to. Throw your, throw your resources toward football because that's what's going to dig you out of this hole. And you mentioned what, 20 to $25 million instead of 60 to $90 million? Okay. That, that, that's a pretty good indication of how much football means to this, this, uh, athletic department, this university. So that's good. 20 to $25 million. I mean, that's what, two Will Must champs. So you can make that all work. It's, it's, it's very, uh, it's not as scary as, as it once looked. So, um, yeah, just, uh, I, I appreciate the, the honesty there. I appreciate appreciate the the fact that there's like okay football got us here football is going to be what gets us out of here and and we have to do whatever we can to support that now there's obviously still more that you know that they want to do and from a facilities uh, standpoint I know that she was asked about so, some of these things um, you want to continue that progress which obviously is going to be slowed and you know from a revenue standpoint from an actual physical construction standpoint that stuff's going to be slowed but when you get a chance to get these uh, get the wheel greased and moving again, that's uh, the that's the direction that they want to see that program going. Yeah, it's about people pulling out their uh, their their checks right now and and putting big numbers on them and sending them into the university, and that's a little bit uh, difficult in terms of what I think most people are dealing with economically right now. But uh, certainly, still the cash is going to flow, and I know for the local economy, I mean that is uh, to me what I always think of. And I know the universities had some losses, but they have incredible reserves like so many of these huge universities you think about the the local businesses you hope that football season in 2021 looks a lot different people are hitting the restaurants and bars and and everything in between and walking the streets you just hope that we get to that point and that would be huge uh, but the loss is just not quite as bad as as you thought they could have been you know 10 months ago and, and so that's that's a step toward the right direction uh, last thing here she called it flattering that james franklin's name pops up uh, in these coaching conversations with other universities. Uh, she said it was flattering not just for James Franklin, but for Penn State because they've clearly got a good coach uh, that other teams may want. We've heard his name surface with Southern Cal, with Texas A&M, with Florida State, and with Tennessee of late. But, Sean, to, to borrow a phrase from you, Tennessee ain't it. <laughs> Tennessee tried to make it it from what I understand, but uh, that, that there's a lot that goes into that decision. I mean, they're obviously um, in a little bit of hot water and a little bit of hot water that they heated up themselves with some of their uh, um, actions and some of their uh, self-reporting and things like that. So I don't know that that's, that's a great job to walk into. Obviously, it's been uh, you know filled. Josh Heupel's coming with Danny White and uh, honestly, from a from a football standpoint, from an AD standpoint, I like the hire of Danny White, but uh, he took seemed to take the uh, 
you know, the, the, the most common denominator that, that he, you know, found from, from UCF and brought it with him. So I don't know that that's a great hire, but what, you know, we'll see, you know, it's, it's so many of these hires miss and especially at schools that like, that we've seen like Tennessee, like South Carolina, some of these schools that are just fighting to keep up with the Alabamas and the Georgias and the LSUs and things like that. It's such a tough, tough gig that I don't know that it really made a ton of sense for Franklin not only to, to try and go in there but to try and also rebuild that program because obviously he, he he's got a bit of a bigger a uh, bit of a longer leash here at Penn State I think you're guaranteed that if Penn State builds off of the four game win streak goes out writes the ship has a strong 2021 campaign next winter you will once again see Franklin's name involved in headlines for other schools and once again uh, Penn State will have to manage that situation um, to, to make sure Franklin is comfortable and has what he needs here in Happy Valley. Uh, moving on to the recruiting trail before we get to our five-star mailbag, Sean, a couple of names that have been on the radar for a while and two of the only names really left uh, as we go toward the 2021 National Signing Day next Wednesday. Some developments here. George Rooks out of New Jersey, going to the Big Ten, not going to be with Penn State, heading to Michigan I guess that finally wraps this one up, and and to be honest with you, it doesn't feel like a huge swing in the and a miss situation for Penn State. Although I'm sure there are some ways that that will be spun in the Michigan beat, particularly. What a weird recruitment! It was funny to follow on our board because obviously, you know, Penn State wanted this kid, and this is a guy that they've recruited for a long, long time. You, you put on the tape, and you're just kind of like, what what are, what are we seeing here? Um, and I think our board was like, okay. So Penn State wants this kid. All right, go out and get him. Okay, well they miss on him. Uh, why they miss on him? I I don't know. I mean he's just he's been all over the place. It's been a crazy recruitment, everything like that. But at the same time, I mean I don't know that he's a player that anybody really wanted on our on our site on our board and things like that. It's just been a funny dynamic to how this one has all played out. I'm kind of lukewarm on him myself, and I have been, and I've been telling you guys that on the site and the podcast, whatever, since he was on the on the radar. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's been a very interesting dynamic how this one all played out. Uh, Michigan's getting him as a guy that uh, you thought, or is is a is a program that you thought maybe was in front for Rooks for a while. Then they had a bit of a calamity during the season, got rid of their, a lot of their defensive staff, uh, defensive line coach was retained. Um, but really it was, it was one of those things where Boston college seemed to lead at one point, Penn state seemed to lead at one point, never could really pin that down and get the warm and fuzzies with any one school. And then all of a sudden Michigan makes a defensive tackle or excuse me, a defensive coordinator hire turns things around and, and they get his commitment now. So, um, I, I think this one's done. I, I wouldn't expect, you know, many schools to, to really press on hard after he makes his commitment. Um, but at the same time, uh, it's just been a, a really interesting one to follow. And, you know, it is, it, I, I'm, I don't, I'm not going to get too torn up over Penn State not getting George Rooks. You know, I, you and I have had this conversation before, but, uh, he was one of the few targets on the board. So, you know, they, they wanted to see this one out. Of course, Dave on Townley, still the big target out there. We talk about the need at defensive end, and that's a, certainly a big one. He's going to announce on National Signing Day next, uh, next Wednesday. Nebraska's still in there. Washington just offered late. So be, be interesting to see if there's a late twist or anything like that. Couple other names still on the board as well. Austin UK, we've talked about that. Uh, the offensive lineman from Texas, Jordan Mosley, the the receiver from Alabama. So I mean, there's there's guys that are you know still out there, but I, I think that it's how we've treated January, right? You and I, we've we've watched this, we've we've watched some of the 2021 stuff, and it really hasn't moved the needle. 2022 has portal recruiting has, and that's kind of where we sit with this uh, closing out this chapter of of, of the recruiting cycle. You go back just a few years and when no one has signed yet and everybody's about to sign and there's, you know, a guy like George Rooks, you'd feel so much prior, like the priority would be at a, such a different level. But now you've got the transfer portal, got 15 guys signed, seven of them on campus, but the transfer portal and, and Penn State's proactive nature that they have now adopted with it and, and getting guy number five from there earlier today, it just changes the way you view these remaining targets. And it's kind of like, okay, do you want a guy that you're kind of lukewarm on who's 18 years old and you don't expect to see much uh, materialize from him on the field until maybe 2022, 2023? Or can we go back and, and see if the 24-7 sports transfer portal list is updated and who's there, defensive tackle or defensive end, and maybe see what that guy could do here in 2021? It's just totally has twisted the, the perception of uh, uh, and kind of just the angle from which we view this whole uh, final stretch of the recruiting period. It's, I mean, just it's just remarkable to think about how different this industry was for us three, four years ago. 
Well, it's it's not only the industry, it's the reality of things because you look at the guys that, you know, we we had talked in this little stretch here just after they started the early signing period in the last couple of years that guys just kind of blew up when they got to January. That really didn't happen this year because you're looking at, at filling spots, you know, you know, not necessarily with these high school kids, um, but with transfer portal guys that are, you know, physically more able to come in and play right away. So uh, I just think it's a it's a very funny dynamic, and and you look at okay. As I mentioned earlier, offensive linemen, defensive linemen, always in demand. That's fine. You know, you're the high school kids, they're fine. But skill players, uh, maybe not so much. And you've got decisions that are being made by staffs that, you know, maybe you're not waiting out this guy because he's, you know, checks some of the boxes, doesn't check them all. And, or you can bring in a transfer that is seemingly ready to go and you don't have to tie up a scholarship for four or five years. So that, that really, has led to some tough decisions and it's led to some guys getting kind of the cold shoulder from staffs, um, including Penn State, uh, you know, just down the stretch. Before we like totally throw the wet blanket on National Signing Day for everybody, stay tuned if something pops up and I'm guessing something will pop up. Sean, myself, our amazing 24-7 sports network of experts uh, will be on the case. Remember, just a couple of years ago, you had Daquan Hardy get to the day before National Signing Day without a Penn State offer. This past fall on the field, he he ended the year as as you, you know you're essentially primary nickelback. So something could happen, some offer could go out late, but to this point, there just hasn't been that kind of movement. Uh, but stay tuned; we've got a week ahead of us here, and we'll cover it here on the podcast, of course. Sean, uh, one more thing to get to on the recruiting trail, and that is uh, a little bit of self-manufactured news coming out of 24-7 Sports, which we always appreciate. The top 24-7 out. Um, this is uh, not a final top 247. It normally would be this time of year, but there's several states that are looking to play football in the spring. So our rankings council wants to hold off on that kind of finality. They want to be able to assess guys, move guys around. Uh, based on merit uh, coming up in the spring if there is more high school football played. But uh, everybody on this list representing Penn State, their careers are over. There are five Penn State signees in the top uh, 24-7, and there are four others who weren't four stars. Uh, Lonnie White ends up leading the entire group with, at number 73. Landon Tengwall has been part of this ranking system since day one, uh, and he is number 83. Kalen King, cornerback, number 205. Linebacker Jamari Budden, 228. And Harrison Wallace, who we've mentioned before, ended up climbing about 500 spots as a senior at Pike Road High School in Alabama. He finishes up just inside a 246 overall. The other four stars on the outside of that group, Nate Bruce, Liam Clifford at receiver, tight end Khalil Dinkins, and safety Jalen Reed. Uh, so, you know, anything stand out to, to you in particular there? I think it's very uh, impressive to me that three out of those nine names I just mentioned are wide receivers. Yeah, it's. Um, it, it, I don't think anything really jumps out. I mean, no real changes from the Penn State side yeah. of things. I, Jalen Reed was at the tail end of the 2470 the last time or the, the update before and it just fell out so it's not a big uh, a big change for him but yeah it's in, seems about right I, I don't think that there's any you know big changes coming or anything like that so I, nothing really I, I I wish I had a hot take on this I really don't I love Lonnie <laughs> White you know that uh, Landon Tangwall is kind of uh, on ca- is on campus now is kind of what they expected him to be and uh, you know hopefully that 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 you know, is parlayed into some experience this spring and maybe can be a guy that, that helps you out this fall. But, uh, yeah, I just don't, uh, it, this is like the 2021 cycle, man. I just, uh, trouble getting uh, a ton of momentum behind it. A hot take on this one. Well, I'll tell you what, uh, taking a peek toward 2022, which is uh, filled with momentum. This is based on the composite. So take that for what it is. What I just went through was strictly 24 seven sports ranking system, but seven of Penn state's eight commitments in that 2022 cycle are in the top 225 overall. And if you reviewed what we just saw from this top 24-7, Sean, what Ohio State is doing, what Clemson is doing, what Alabama and LSU are doing, there's a lot of catching up. There is a major gap in terms of volume of these top prospects, and that includes Penn State, who I think is going to finish somewhere between 20 to 25 in the composite rankings for the 2021 cycle Although a lot of people disappointed and let down, not terrible way to finish, but when you're talking about trying to play keep up and, and play catch up, especially with a program in your own division within your own conference, uh, th- these these rankings are, are uh, a, a bit sobering, I think, for Nittany Lions fans when you go through and work your way down before you see the first Penn State commit. Yep, that's um, 
I mean, again, uh, on the rankings right now, I mean, this is for the 2022 class. You, you, you really want to look months from now, see what things can happen. I saw there was some live events over the weekend in Florida. So it just felt that good. That was nice to, to see, wasn't it? it? Was some some fresh analysis from our crew. We were well represented down there and new interviews and just – it's nice to see guys in the field doing stuff. Yeah, it was a breath of fresh air. There was some guys down there, seven on seven, I believe was in uh, Orlando. And then there was some camps in Miami. So, uh, you know, I know it's it, Penn State's not going to pop up with all those guys, but enough of them. I mean, you're still getting out there. Of course, Jay Wan Sider is still um, an active recruiter in Florida. But uh, it seems like it's, it's interesting because these kids at this time during this process, and know it's kind of different than Penn State's uh, commitment list at this point, um, but they seem to have a cast a wider net because they haven't been able to visit places. They haven't been able to sit down with coaches and things like that. And, you know, you can maybe wedge yourself in there and get in with some guys that, you know, you probably otherwise wouldn't be in the, in, in the middle of January, excuse me, as I stumble all over myself. So it's a bit of a change and, and basically you got to hit the ground running whenever you can. And that's probably going to be mid April. And, and unless they extend the dead period. We will see, and we're coming up on a, a full full year where there has been no in-person recruiting, and uh, just going to be dramatic to see what happens when those floodgates are open, and we look forward to them opening for sure. Um, the five-star mailbag question today is extremely direct, Sean, um, and and uh, actually, oh, you wanted to get to this one first, so we'll get to the very direct one second because I think it'll be a quick conversation, but this is, is also a good one, a bit of a, a thought-provoking one because it, it touches on a couple things that, that recently happened. Um, they say, I know the star ratings don't mean much once you step on campus, but Michigan's Luigi Veyan was a highly rated defensive end and has entered the portal. He's a Virginia kid, so do you think Penn State will have interest and vice versa? In general, is defensive end a spot where Penn State will continue to look in the transfer portal? Sean, I'll throw it to you, but a few things because there's been development since this question was posed to us. Uh, Veyan, I think it's Veyan, has gone on to Wake Forest. He's going to be playing there in 2021. That happened yesterday. Um, And this is a kid, mentioned a Virginia kid. He's actually a Canadian kid who played at Episcopal Academy with Jonathan Jonathan Sutherland down in Alexandria, Virginia. So Virginia prep program, but another one of those Canadian pipeline kids. And uh, take it from where you will, including my terrible pronunciation, and I'm supposed to be the Canadian beat reporter here. Yeah, really, that's uh, that's your area here. Um, now, uh, Luigi, as we like to just call him. Yes. Uh, no. So if you break break this question down sort of sentence by sentence, I know star ratings don't mean much once you step on campus. That's true. When you take a look at the guys that are in the portal, you can't get hung up on that stuff. And I know that there's – you know. You see the stars and you say, okay, well, there's talent there. There's things that, you know, you, you, you may not have developed at your last spot. You, you probably should look more at, uh, not well, obviously production, um, but you, you probably look at what year they are, how long they've been there. If they really haven't done anything, I mean, it might be a case of not being developed, but it's probably a case of they just weren't as good as, as we thought they were once upon a time. And, um, I, I, I empathize with Luigi here. He had, he came in with a knee injury. He tore up his knee, I think in 2017. Then he tore up his other knee in 2018. So this is a situation where you've got to look a little bit deeper and you see what actually went on with his college career, completely derailed by injuries. Uh, very talented kid. Um, but not everybody's going to hold up when you get in the college ball. So I think that's a big thing when, when you talk about a, a sort of examining what makes sense from a portal standpoint. Um, again, if you're from a big program, and you're not making it work, it's probably not going to work at a big program like Penn State either. And that's kind of the, the the reality of the situation. You want to get those guys on the upward ascent rather than the descent. And again, not fair to Luigi here as he's had some major knee injuries and, and you know, it just kind of doesn't work out. Um, going back to his recruitment, he came to camp, uh, I believe, as a freshman with Jonathan Sutherland, with Patrice Rene, who um, eventually went, went to North Carolina, just transferred to Rutgers, I believe. Um, so it's uh, it's one of those things where he's been on the radar for a while. So if they thought he was a guy that you know could come in here and can play and could make an impact, um, you know, I, I, they have the connections to do so. Victor Tendondo uh, runs Gridiron Academy up in Canada is a guy that they've leaned on before. He's worked out with uh, Christian Veyu, so they know him well enough. Um, and it's also a situation where they do know him well enough and they know that the injuries have been an issue and they know he's not the same player he once was. So sometimes you kind of 
have some blinders on for for guys that maybe were highly rated or guys that had one big year and then kind of faded off and and maybe you don't know enough about them and you convince yourself otherwise. But um, Luigi's not one of those guys. In general, at DM to spot where Penn State will continue to look in the transfer portal. Absolutely, I think that's I think that's number one. I know safety is is very high up there because you you know you're, you're trying to replace a guy, trying to bring in an impact guy, um, and you've already filled a little bit of of the defensive end hole with Arnold Ebikete. Um, but I, I still think you got to bring in a guy with a couple of years left. You got to bring in a guy that, you know, can continue to develop because you've got some high ceiling defensive ends on your roster. Young guys, um, like a Bryce Mostella, like a Rodney McGraw, those guys don't always hit and you want to, you want more depth. You want more, uh, solid players. I, I think Adisa Isaac, I think a lot of Adisa Isaac, but you want to have more of these guys that are ready to go like Adisa Isaac than waiting to go like a Rodney McGraw, like a Bryce Mostella. Or counting on Nick Tarburton to be healthy and and contribute on a consistent level in a rotation game after game, and we hope that that things come together for him. But that's not been the track record through through a few years on campus now. So a lot still to, to address at the defensive end spot. I think that's one area that you would love to be able to get a long look for John Scott uh, during the spring practice. And, and let's re- refresh a little bit here. Spring practices across the country will facilitate more movement into that transfer portal. Doesn't necessarily mean you're going to strike gold if you're Penn State, but it does mean that you will have some other things to assess uh, in the months ahead and maybe some wiggle room to do that. Um, The other question here was the direct one, Sean, and and I'll jump right into it. Uh, Is Penn State honestly going into next season with the same defensive staff, specifically at defensive coordinator and in the secondary? Yes. I'm just going to go with yes. Um, the, the only way that I would see a change is if the NFL comes and plucks somebody out of there. Um, we, we saw that happen with Sean Spencer last year. So I think you've kind of gotten through this whole thing where you've, you know, we, we, we heard some Tim Banks rumors, et cetera. Um, but yeah, I, I see that them, those guys sticking together and going with it. I mean, they've, they've had good defenses in the past. Obviously last year, a bit of an anomaly there. Um, but uh, yeah, I see them sticking. Uh, be, 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 it'll be really interesting to me. And I mentioned the NFL kind of for a reason there as as we continue to go along over the next couple of years as name image and likeness come becomes a thing how many of these college coaches are just going to not want to deal with it and jump to the nfl i think that you've already seen that um, with some college coaches just jumping headfirst into position jobs and assistant uh, position jobs into the NFL because, I mean, frankly, they don't really want to deal with with that. They really don't want to deal with the recruiting aspect of it, the headache that goes with that. So it'd be interesting to see how the college coaching job evolves over the next couple of years as the NFL, you know, continues to be the, uh, the desired spot from a workload standpoint, from uh, not dealing with some of the, the, you know, the, the hassles of being a college coach. So um, probably a, a little bit wider than the question. Well, definitely a little bit wider than the question was asked, but it uh, it's going to be interesting to see where things stand with, with the college coaching game versus the pro coaching game over the next couple of years. Year number eight for defensive coordinator, linebackers coach Brent Pry with Penn State. Year number eight for cornerbacks coach Terry Smith. Year number six for safeties coach Tim Banks. They have had a hand in assembling the entire defensive roster going into the 2021 college football year. So, uh, yeah, expect them to be back on campus and also expect the expectations to be high for improvement uh, from that group and from their units. Uh, so, Sean, that's going to do it for this edition of the Lions 24-7 podcast. We've got more ground to cover later in the week. We'll see what else pops up. We've got a bunch of recruiting content. There's been a nice flow from some of those camps, from some of our conversations with new offers, uh, new targets, new potential targets that are the dialogue is increasing with Penn State. A lot of stories up right now for our VIP subscribers online 247.com so check those out Um, as always please follow and rate and review this podcast on apple Podcasts, spotify stitcher wherever you turn to listen to us and get your questions in for our next five-star mailbag by dropping that five-star review on behalf of sean i'm tyler donahue we'll talk to you soon right here on the lines 24 7 podcast